Welcome those of you online. I see that you're there. Or better yet, you see that I'm here, waiting for you, hoping that sometime you'll come back and join us in person. Those of you who are not members of our body, welcome. I'm glad that you have tapped onto your screens and are now viewing us in these are celebrations of worship. So again, welcome to New Hope Chapel Sunday morning praise and worship service. My title this morning is In Flames. And my text is the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. I have it in the New American Standard Bible. Those of you who are here have outlines, and of course you have the text printed in the New American Standard. It's always nice that we have the same translation I say a word and you see the word, it's all the same. Those of you online don't have that, but you are, of course, sharing with the people present the outline for your easy reference. So those of you who have known me forever know that I never seek to express the word of God without an assurance that my words are truly his thoughts. I wouldn't have it any other way. It would it would just freaked me out to think that I had said something that was not really the word of God. So this morning, Psalm 19 leads me to say that the words of my mouth in the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Five words. There are five words And regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, you would agree that they became one of the most famous political slogans of any political candidate in the last 50 years. And those words were, change we can believe in. And regardless of what you think about the slogan or even the man, one thing we can always agree on, and that is that change is difficult. The older you get the harder change is. You know, I know a lot of people that are more comfortable with picking up and putting up with the old problems rather than working on new solutions. But people are open to change as long as it doesn't inconvenience them, cost them anything, changes the way they do business, or changes their lives. And change is what brings us to the 15th chapter of Acts. The book of Acts is a birthday story. It is a story of the birth of the church, and the church was literally born in fire. See, God sent the Holy Spirit on 120 believers. Peter had preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved in one day, and the church was off to the races. See, Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came on believers, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was a breathtaking prediction and command. Jesus was asking his Jewish followers to take the gospel, which is the message of death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to people of no religion and to people of different religions. It was to be for all cultures, all races, all generations. The gospel was to be taken everywhere, presented everywhere, universal, and shared with everybody. Now listen, only the message of biblical Christianity has one word from God that everybody needs to hear. 
and that is the word grace. Every other religion in the world is all about keeping rules. Biblical Christianity is all about grace. I'm calling this sermon this morning In Flames because we will be seeing how a church is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And the message of Jesus Christ has caught fire everywhere that people have heard it. No wonder. Because contrary to all the religions that they had, people were hearing for the first time that salvation is not earned by being good, doing your best, keeping the rules, or practicing a religion. Salvation is a gift of grace gained by faith. And this message has so inflamed one man that he became, spiritually speaking, a human torch. But before, he was a Jewish hitman. He made life his goal to stamp out the church and to kill the message of Jesus Christ. But then he met Christ on the Damascus Road, and he was miraculously converted, became the most famous, passionate flamethrower in the church. That's where our story begins. It began when he had just finished the first of three missionary journeys in which he had traveled over 1,400 miles by boat, by donkey, and on foot, going all over Asia Minor. And for the first time, he had taken the gospel not to Jews, but to Gentiles, because Christianity was for everybody. This was not a Jerusalem thing or a Jewish thing. This was a God thing. Paul was sitting and working in the city called Antioch. This was a Gentile city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And he settled there with another teacher named Barnabas. And together, they were offering God's gift of grace to these Gentiles, and they were just eagerly eating it up, accepting it, receiving it. And reports began to flock back into Jerusalem that all of these Gentiles were becoming Christians but they were not becoming Jewish. As a male, in order to become Jewish, you had to be circumcised. And they were being baptized, but not circumcised. Can you guess what happened? There arose in the church a cold water committee. You know, the greatest danger to fire is water. There were some people in the church that were ready to pour water on the fire that was spreading to the Gentiles. But it was not that these Jewish believers did not want Gentiles in the church, but they wanted them in the church under their own terms. They were raising big questions. For example, can you have conversion without circumcision? Can you have faith in Christ without obeying the law of Moses? Can you believe in the Messiah if you're not Jewish? The church was about to answer once and for all these big questions that deserved big answers. How does a person enter into a permanent relationship with God? Who can be accepted in the church? Who gets in and what do you have to do to get in? What is required to become a member of God's family? You see, the river of God's grace had overflowed its Jewish banks. And what is the church going to do now? And so we come to 
to Acts 15. We come to the most important business meeting in the history of the church. The entire future of Christianity is at stake. And what you're going to find in this chapter are fire extinguishers. You're going to see why churches fight, why churches die, why people don't go to church, why people who used to go to church quit going to church, and why a lot of people who keep going to church don't enjoy it. Nothing will kill the heart, the spirit, the mission, the passion, or the effectiveness of the church more than fire extinguishers. In this sermon, we're going to highlight four fire extinguishers. In your outline, first consider the first extinguisher, and that is pushing tradition over truth. Our text, Acts 15, 1-2 states, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them which should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Did you hear the word custom? Put in there the word tradition. For thousands of years, every Jewish male had been circumcised. It was very plain to see that it was the sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. It was a sacred tradition. Now you have uncircumcised Gentiles who are giving their lives to Christ, following Jesus in baptism, becoming members of the church without surgery. And these Jewish believers were saying, before you can be saved, you've got to have surgery. Can you imagine what that did to the new members class? I can just imagine the husband taking his wife and kids to this new church, and he's wanting to join, but then he finds out what he is required to do, and you can't blame him for saying something like, honey, I don't mind if you and the kids go here, but I really don't think this church is for me. It's just a cut above what I'm looking for. I don't even like their mission statement, saved in the nick of time. Here in the 21st century, we're all sitting here saying, that is unbelievable. You mean they didn't want to let people into the church just because they didn't look a certain way? Just because of something on the outside of them? That's exactly what these men were saying. Before you come into the church, you need to look like we think you ought to look. You need to do things the way we want them done. In other words, they're saying, if you want to be like us, you, if you want to be just like us, you've got to become one of us. Before we take these men to task, let's be honest. We all tend to settle into our particular version of what, Christi- of what Christianity ought to be. We have a tendency to add one thing to two things. And we tend to either own our own requirements of how to have a relationship with God or our own requirements as to how to be right with God. In 99.99% of the time, it is because we push our tradition over truth. 
For example, I just think that pastors should always wear a suit and tie. By the way, I wear a coat to hide. (laughs) How dare you have a church without a piano or an organ? You mean you don't sing Amazing Grace every Sunday? See, understand there's nothing wrong with tradition. Tradition can be a positive thing. Tradition can be a neutral thing. But tradition can be a negative thing. Here's how you know and will always know when tradition becomes a bad thing. When you put tradition over truth. But let's continue. Second in your outline, the second extinguisher, pushing rules over relationships. Our text, Acts 15, 3 to 5. Therefore, after being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to keep the law of Moses. You know, Paul and Barnabas, realizing that this is a hill worth dying on, got involved into a very heated debate and discussion with these circumcisers. And so they decided to take the whole question to the spiritual leadership in Jerusalem where the apostles and the elders are. I could call it the Jerusalem showdown. On the one side, you've got legalism and rules. On the other side, you've got grace and faith. One side is represented by Pharisees thinking. And if you've read the New Testament, you'll remember the Pharisees because everywhere that Jesus went, they went. The Pharisees term, the term Pharisees technically refers to a first century group of religious leaders that were committed to a strict interpretation of the Mosaic law. And they insisted on meticulous observance of that law. And the term eventually became synonymous with legalism. Believe me when I tell you that legalism is alive and well in the church today. If you don't know what a legalist is, let me just share with you a definition I read. It's a little humorous, but it's true. Listen, legalists love to act like God by making rules. Legalists love rules about the rules. Legalists love rules about who gets to make the rules about the rules. Legalists love rules about who gets to enforce the rules made by the people whom the rules appointed to make the rules about the rules. In the end, legalists want to rule through rules and their rules are often weapons that divide church bodies into bloody parts. And that is exactly what is happening here. These Jewish Christian Pharisees believed that Christianity was simply an extension of Judaism After all, Jesus was Jewish. And they believed that the only way you had to go was to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. 
But you had to keep that law. You had to become Jewish before you became Christian. Now remember, they had added in their history to the law of Moses 613 other laws. And they are saying you had to obey those also in order to have a relationship with God and to be right with God. They thought the answer to everything was a law. Many of their laws, in my opinion, were, were silly. But, and nobody kept them. You know, even in modern society, you have the passing of all kinds of dumb laws that nobody can keep or would keep. Can I give you some true, real-life examples? I've given some of these in prior sermons, but here we go. Consider, these are true. It is illegal to tie an alligator to a fire hydrant in Detroit. In Kern County, California, it is illegal for anyone to play bingo if you are intoxicated. In Texas, windshield wipers are required, but a windshield is not. In Alabama, it's illegal to drive a car while blindfolded. In Kentucky, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. (laughs) Lastly, in Hawaii, children under 12 are forbidden to play on the highway. This is the problem they faced in the early church. These Pharisees were saying, if you want to be a Christian... You not only have to be circumcised, but you've got to keep all of these laws and all of these rules, and you've got to obey the law of Moses. And today we have substituted our made-up laws for the law of Moses. We've got people today, if they could, they would make it illegal to go into a church wearing shorts and flip-flops. They would make it illegal to sing anything except hymns, and they would make it illegal not to do it out of a hymn book. They really don't care about relationships. They just care about rules. They they really don't care whether people come to church or not, as long as they come dressed the way they think they ought to be dressed, looking the way they think they ought to look, acting the way they think they ought to act, and doing what they think they ought to do. So when you push tradition over truth, you're a fire extinguisher. And when you push rules over relationships, you're a fire extinguisher. And in your outline, consider the third extinguisher, and that is pushing the external over the internal. You know, Paul and Barnabas were sharing the most incredible things that God had been doing with the Gentiles as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they were the new kids on the block. There were two other people that the early church needed to hear from. And that was Peter and the other was James. Our text, Peter speaks up first. Chapter 15, verses 6 and 9. The apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. 
See, Peter understood that these Pharisees were correct in their observations. They just weren't correct in their conclusion. These Pharisees were saying, just look at these Gentiles. They don't wash their hands before they eat, which the law says you should. And when they do wash their hands, they don't eat right. They eat shrimp on the barbie, and they put sausage on their pizza. They even go into the synagogue wearing T-shirts and jeans, and some of them even wear flip-flops. They may be clean, but they're not conformed to what we want and to think the way we think. And up to that point, the Pharisees are correct. Then Peter simply points out the fatal flaw. You are focused on the external, not the internal. Listen again to Peter's thoughts, verse 8 and 9. And God knows the heart. Testify to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Do you see that phrase? God knows the heart. In the Greek language, there is a noun, cardionostis. Cardio means heart and nostis means knowledge. Heart knower. You know, God is the divine cardiologist. A human cardiologist knows about the heart. But God knows the heart. And that's the difference. Literally, this is what's happening with legalists and Pharisees. They miss the heart of the matter of Christianity because Christianity is a matter of the heart. And the reason why you have fire extinguishers in the church is because they don't see people the way God sees them. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen. Whenever anyone walks into a church, the only thing that matters to God is not the color of their skin or the kind of clothes they wear or the tattoos that they model, but the condition of their heart. And then Peter slams the point home with the force of a sledgehammer. He says in Acts 15, 10 and 11, Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord just in the same way as they also are. When Peter made this statement, their mouths dropped open. Eyes fell out of sockets because here is Peter, the number one Jew, and everyone expected him to say something like this. We believe that these Gentiles can be saved by grace through faith just like us. Instead, he turns it around and says, we believe that even the Jews can be saved by grace just like these Gentiles. In other words, Peter is saying, in order to be saved, they don't have to become like us. We have to become like them. What matters is truth, not tradition. What matters is a relationship, not rules. What matters is the internal, not the external. Because Peter knew 
If you subtract from grace, it is no longer grace. And if you add to grace, it is no longer grace. Our job is not to subtract from grace or add to grace. Our job is to divide grace up and multiply it to anyone who is willing to receive it. And all this leads to the last and the greatest fire extinguisher of all. Number four, pushing preferences over people. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and does the most important thing. He simply goes to the word of God. He quotes a prophecy from Amos where Amos predicted that the Gentiles would come to God just like the Jews and that they would come all the same way by simply calling on the name of the Lord. He then applies this prophecy and he says in Acts 15, 19, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. The word trouble literally means to make something difficult or hard. The bottom line, the way we do church and the way we live our Christian lives, we must be stepping stones to Christ, not stumbling blocks. Peter, James, and Paul said loudly and clearly, we are going to be a church for the unchurched, We are not going to let petty preferences stand in the way of reaching people. We're not going to add or subtract anything to God's word. Remember this, anyone who adds a plus sign or subtracts to either the Son of God or the Word of God has his math wrong. And this morning, I hope we can all agree that we are not now, nor will we become, the first church of the circumcisers. It's time to get rid of our list of how people dress, how the church ought to be run, our personal taste, our musical preferences. Listen, let's just do that right now. There are some issues that we should be willing to die for. The Trinity the deity of Jesus, his atoning death, and salvation by grace and faith, and the authority of the Bible. If on these some think differently, they are not our brothers and sisters. Then there are some issues that we should be willing to divide. However, these are issues that should not cause us to disfellowship from someone It would only cause us to separate and go separate ways. You know, the method and the meaning of baptism would be one example. That's certainly an issue that is worth being honest enough to say, you go your way and we will go ours. Another one might be women serving as pastors of a church. That is a dividing point and a legitimate dividing point. But listen, we should continue to accept them as they leave as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Then there are things that we debate, such as style of worship, musical preferences. Nothing wrong with differences of opinion and feeling strongly about these opinions. I personally favor hymns 
But I also enjoy raising my hands and doing a little dancing. But these are not hills or walls to divide us. They are, there are doctrinal reasons to select or leave a church body of greater impact than musical choices. If you have ever been or you are now a member of the Cold Water Committee, resign. Put fuel on the fire. Amen? The service is over. I say, let's go forth in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For here we serve the one true God. I want you to go out and I want you to show love to all those whom the Lord has brought to be together with you here at New Hope Chapel. But I want you to reach out to those that he brings alongside in your life. Invite them to come and meet Jesus in worship. Amen?